listening to our New Chapel podcast. We're for people to connect with God and be raised to new life in Christ. Be sure to connect with us at newchapel.com and on social media to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel. New Chapel, will you join with me and honor God for 10 good years? Thank you, Jesus. Well, you came on a great day. We're going to be celebrating big uh, rain or shine. We have health food for you. I've prayed for it. So there's no calories or carbs today, none of it. And so uh, we're going to be partying in a big way, celebrating everything that God has done. You know, today uh, was pretty special for Kaya and I, and, and we were kind of dreaming about what we would want our 10th anniversary to look like. And I've been asked, well, Pastor Joe, wouldn't you want to preach it? Y'all look at me. Lord, no, I don't want to preach our 10th birthday. I want, to, I want to have somebody in. I want to kick back. I want to say amen and take notes. And I couldn't think of a more wonderful person than Pastor Gabe George. Pastor Gabe has become a friend here at New Chapel. He's uh, really become family. We're calling him Uncle Gabe more and more. I'm going to make that stick. And uh, I'm not the only one saying that any longer. But Pastor Gabe has planted churches. He's been a part of informing how we do kids ministry, not just at this church, but all around the country. He's a man of God. He sows into churches and pastors. He invests in the next generation, the current generation, and he has reached to the generation that has gone before him. He's become a warm friend to me, my wife, and this church. New Chapel, would you stand up on your feet, put your hands together for our friend, Pastor Gabe. Come on up. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, You can be seated. You can be seated. Happy birthday. What an honor. Uh, I could talk about that for a while, but now you all have three services, so my liberty to speak for long periods of time has diminished, which is probably why you're here. And... I'm, uh, I, I'm, I'm excited to be here. What a special thing. What a special thing. I grew up in the church. My father planted a church in the 80s. I planted, was a part of two church plants, uh, one in Texas, one in Los Angeles. I realize what this is. I appreciate what this is and what an honor it is to be with you, just period, but to speak on such a, such a special day it, it is a great gift to me, and it's a great gift to me to, to stand in for my good, good friend. Uh, I, I'm, I, again, I could talk about this for a while. I love you, brother. I love you. I honor you and Kaya, the family, the staff. You've done an amazing job of honoring God and obeying God. And what a privilege it is to be able to celebrate that. So, uh, yeah. Let's give the Bevelacquas a hand clap. Yeah. Uh, I figured what better topic to speak on on such an important day than just a simple gospel of Jesus Christ. I think sometimes whenever we get into the church world and it becomes our habit, it's something that we've done, we've been a part of, maybe you're new to this, and so this is going to be sort of a new revelation to you, Uh, but maybe you've been around the church for a long time and there are things that we know. We know things. We, We hear things and we sort of know them. We mentally ascend to them. We get it. But there's a difference between getting something in our head and it getting down into our hearts where it begins to change things. And the goal is always that we would come together and approach the words of God and that the words of God would change us because the words of God certainly do that. It's up to us to be able to receive this change. And so it's important for us as we go forward that we are ready to receive the word of God. 
ready to receive the power of the Word of God. And it's critical that we realize that even if we've heard something before, the bigger question isn't so much have we heard it before, but what are we doing with it? Are we putting it into practice? Is it a part of our application of everyday life? Or are we just saying, yeah, I know, I got that. It's good, it's good, it's good, I agree, but I'm not really implementing this. Jesus said multiple times, blessed are those who hear and do. Hear and do. Faith comes by hearing, but faith without work or action is dead. And so we need to apply what we hear. And that's my prayer for us this morning. In fact, that's what I would like for us to pray for before I go any further, that we would receive the good news of Jesus. And the good news of Jesus is good news. And so that's something that shouldn't be that difficult to receive. So let's pray together before we go any further. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your goodness. You are good. You're better than we realize. Your thoughts and intents toward us are better than we could ever imagine. Today, not just in the eternal hereafter, but today. You smile on us. You favor us. And we thank you so much for seeing us right where we are, for loving us, and for sending your son Jesus to live and die and be resurrected so that we could have righteousness but also walk out this walk of obedience. I thank you so much for transforming us. I thank you for your word. It is power. May we receive it as such. And it change us today as we put it into practice. Thank you for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I was born in 1978, uh, 45 years old. I had a birthday this last August. I don't remember receiving any gifts from any of you. We can talk about that later. Um, Being born in the late 70s... meant that the digital world had sort of, it was sort of there. TV was there to a degree. We had a satellite dish. Uh, we had a cable box at some point. Uh, things began to develop. There, there were not what we have today, but there was a little bit of digital uh, modernization. Uh, but in my day, the thing that I love to do the most, specifically on birthday parties, as, as, I can, as far back as I can remember, is I love to go to the arcade. Love the arcade. It's kind of a sad thing because the arcade, I I mean, I'm sure that there are games around somewhere, but the arcade used to be like the sun in a young person's life. Like we just, we rotated around it. Everything was centered around the arcade. Restaurants had video games. Uh, We would go to places like pizza places that had big arcades. Uh, there's a place called Casa Bonita that existed in Tulsa. There's one in Denver. These things are this is like the best thing a kid could ever have, Mexican food and an arcade. And we would always go to the arcade. The mall in my formative years had an arcade. It was a place there in Tulsa where I'm from called The Tilt. It was in the mall. It's called The Tilt. It's sort of a dark, dingy room. And you would go in and just the sounds of video games. And it would just draw you in. You would just sort of see it and hear it from a distance, and you would be drawn to the arcade. Raise your hand if you remember the arcade. Some of you remember the arcade. The arcade as a kid, was it was a paradise. It was a haven. It was You would go in there, and hopefully your pockets were filled with quarters, and you could stay in there for hours. The only thing you had to watch out for in the arcade was the creepy older guy that was also at the arcade, and your parents would warn you about this guy, like, be careful, there's always people in there that shouldn't be in there, they're just loitering in there all day, we don't need to get into why, but they were always there, so you were just playing games, but also kind of on your guard, (laughs) right? If you wanted to play and someone was on a machine, you'd put your quarter up there that just like that you're staking your claim, like I've got next, that's my quarter right there, I'm waiting. 
You'd play the arcade forever. This is what you would do because this was our access to video games. This was my access to video games until 1989 when the Nintendo came out, the original Nintendo. It blew my mind as a kid. It blew my mind that they had brought the arcade into your living room. You no longer had to pay quarters, but you could wake up and you could just, you could just turn the thing on and start playing Super Mario Brothers. At least that was the thought. But I had siblings, older brother, younger sister, which meant that you had to wait your turn, which is the worst. The worst. And my dad would get in on it too. He was the first one to play. He set it up and we're excited to play. And he's like, all right, I got first game. The trouble is he was better at it. And so he could live and last a really long time. And so it felt like days, just like dad, get off the machine, but you can't say anything, right? Unless you get kicked out of the house. And so we're just waiting our turn. My older brother gets his turn and you're secretly wishing for people to die. Like, I need you to die. 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 You're just speaking it into existence. They die and then you get it and God forbid you die quickly because then your turn is over. I remember sleeping in my school clothes so that I could just pull the sheet off and just turn the Nintendo on and play so that I could have some time to myself. I remember doing this. Whenever I started playing the Nintendo, the, the, the controls and the, 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 the game was simple. It was pretty much you just move left to right, and it was just very two-dimensional. And the controller was very simple, too. I brought a picture of a controller of an original Nintendo. It was just sort of a keypad there, a couple of buttons, select and start. This didn't take too long to get used to because it pretty much just mirrored what was at the arcade. You had the joystick, and you had a couple of buttons, and so it wasn't that difficult to understand. Fast forward to my early 20s, uh, there was a gap there where I didn't play too many video games, and I got lured into playing at work with some guys. They, wanted, they needed an extra guy to play, and so I jumped in. But the gaming systems had changed, and it wasn't the original Nintendo anymore. It was an Xbox. It was an Xbox, and the game had become much more complicated. It wasn't just moving left to right. It was moving anywhere you wanted to move, and you could look anywhere you wanted to look. And so the controller didn't look like the Nintendo controller. The controller looked like this. I brought this picture here. You've got like a couple of joysticks, but they don't just move up, down, left, right. They're, they go anywhere. And you got two of them at once. So I'm grabbing this controller, and I'm trying to figure out how this thing works while the people around me are shooting me and killing me and talking trash to me. And as the mid-20-year-old guy, this is infuriating. And I don't, I'm very competitive, and I don't like to lose. And so I'm trying with everything I have to navigate this controller. But really what I'm doing is I'm in the corner with my gun, you know, and I'm like doing this and I'm like, I'm trying to shoot somebody. And it's like, I'm trying to shoot, but I'm throwing my ammo on the ground and like just sitting there in the corner. People are walking up behind me, laughing at me as they just assassinate me from behind with a melee attack. And I don't know what I'm doing. After playing for what felt like it's probably a couple of hours, not knowing how to navigate the controls, someone informed me that you can go into the system settings and you can adjust the system settings. You can adjust your look sensitivity. How quickly does the camera move whenever I move this way or that way? I can adjust what happens when I move the controller up, when I move it down, when I move my joysticks. I can adjust it. And so what was intuitive to me was not part of the default setting. So I had to change the default setting. And once I changed the default setting, whenever I wanted to go forward, I could go forward. Whenever I wanted to go backward, I could go backward. Left, right. I could do things the way I wanted to do them. Now, I wasn't good. I had to take time and practice, which I did, to get better at it. But had I gone with the original factory setting, I would have been doing everything backwards. I want to talk about factory settings. I want to talk about default settings. 
I want to talk about changing the default setting. In Genesis 1, we have the account of creation. God created the world, created the natural world, called it good. Good according to design, designed according to function. Everything was operating the way it was supposed to operate. God created living creatures and called them good. Everything moving, living, breathing according to design and function. God created humankind and called us good. Not just that we were good as an aesthetic, but we were operating according to our design and function. Everything had a function, everything had a design, and this is what God wanted to multiply on the earth. Sin came in and corrupted our original design, corrupted the original function. How we were supposed to move and live and breathe on the earth became infected by sin. Everything changed. The original setting, the out of the box, so to speak, as God designed us to be, had shifted to where now the default setting of mankind had become corrupt. And it wasn't just corrupt in that day, it's been corrupt ever since. I want to read this to you in Romans 5.12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, in this way, death came to all people because all sin. When Adam sinned, death came into the world. Death corrupted mankind. And it isn't just that we live a shortened life and we die. It's that our time on the earth has been infected. The way we operate has become infected. And that infection has swept across all of humanity throughout all of time. And so now the default setting of mankind is one that is against God's original intention, right? But we know this. That's why we're here. There's hope. There's hope. Jesus came to redeem and to change us back to the original intention of God. Jesus lived, Jesus died on the cross, and Jesus was resurrected. Not just to provide us with an eternal destination that shifted, but to change the here and now. I want to say this, it's really important for us to get this. Because there's sort of an idea, even within Christian circle, and I wouldn't say that it's something that's so much taught uh, overtly, but it's something that we kind of understand to be this way, that following Jesus doesn't necessarily mean that I am distinguished between those who don't know Jesus and those who do. There's nothing really about me that's different aside from my belief. And we do have some expectation that behavior needs to shift, but we've become increasingly okay with the fact that our behavior sort of mirrors those who don't know Jesus and that that's just part of the journey of life. And, you know, I'm not really any better than anyone else. And we are living according to a corrupted setting. But Jesus came to change the setting. And it isn't just a spiritual thing. Whenever Jesus came and lived and died on the cross and was resurrected, he paid for us to have righteousness and the most important part of who we are, and that's our spirit. Our spirit was changed. He says this in John 3.3. He's talking to Nicodemus the Pharisee. He says, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. This being born again is a spiritual thing. You are born again in spirit, but we're more than a spirit. We have a soul and we have a body. Our body is not born again when our spirit is born again. Our body has to wait for redemption. That day is coming. 
Whenever we see Jesus, Jesus gives us a glorified body. This is coming at the end. Our body and all the aches and pains, the creaks, some of you young people, you don't get that. You don't get it. You will, and we will laugh. We will laugh hard, those of us that are older. It's like, it's coming. They used to tell me that, and I'd be like, yeah, shut up, old man. I'm like, yeah, yeah. In the blink of an eye, you get there. There's a day coming where all of this is made new, where our physical form is made new. Our body will be redeemed. That's coming. But we also have a soul. Our soul is our mind, which affects our will, our emotion, and our feeling. This part of us is not redeemed when we are born again. This part of us is still operating according to factory settings set about by Adam when he sinned in the garden. There is a default out of the box for humankind. Our default is corrupted. Our default has to be adjusted. Some of us feel stuck. We have accepted Jesus. We are born again. At least we hear that. And it takes some faith for us to believe that because we don't feel changed. We don't feel like anything has shifted. I don't feel like a new person. And so I come in to church. Oftentimes we'll come at the church and we feel guilty for things that we've done, guilty for things that we're not doing. And we feel like, you know what, there's some sort of change there. And I know that there's a change there, but I still feel somewhat stuck, stuck in the way I see myself, stuck with my self-image. I am dealing with some measure of depression. I'm dealing with anxiety that's constant. I'm dealing with some sort of addiction, some sort of iniquity, some sort of consistent behavioral pattern. I keep going back to things that I don't want to go to, these coping mechanisms, these places where I go for comfort. I go to these places for comfort, but then I hate the way I feel when I engage in these behaviors, and then I keep going back, and someone tells me that I'm forgiven. Someone tells me that I'm righteous, but I don't feel righteous. Something isn't working, and we feel broken. We feel stuck. Whenever I moved into my first apartment, I pulled the moving van up to as as close as I could get to the front door, which was quite far away. There was a long sidewalk that went to the apartment door where I had to get to. And I had this idea, I don't want to do this. I don't want to walk this far. I need to get closer to the building. Well, the only way to get closer to where my door was, was to drive around to the back of the apartment building and the grass and just break laws and rules. And so I was 21 and completely willing to do that. And so I drove around into the grass and went around and moved all of my stuff in to my apartment. Well, as I was trying to leave, I got stuck somewhat on a slope. And I hadn't considered, because I was young and stupid, that it had rained and that the ground was soft. And I'm in this big van and I'm trying to get around. But as I start trying to get around, I start to slip and sink and I'm just sliding down this hill, and there's a creek at the bottom, and I just keep sliding. I'll stop, and then I'm trying to hit the gas, and nothing's really happening, and I'm spinning the wheels, and I'm not moving forward. And as I do that, I just feel the van slowly slipping and slipping, and I'm horrified. I'm thinking I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be in the bottom of the creek in this moving van that does not belong to me, and, 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 and they're going to kill me. They're going to kill me, and this is how it ends. This is how I felt. Until I called my friend. I said, hey, man, I need you to come get me. I called my friend who had a truck. He had a Dodge Ram, and I thought, I need someone to haul me out of here. He came over with his Dodge Ram. He put the tow strap on his truck. Very long distance. 
probably about 50 feet, 100 feet, something like that, very long distance from where he was at on flat ground to where I was at near the creek. He hooked the strap to my van, strapped to his truck, and he began to take his four-wheel drive and move it forward, and he pulled me out. God is a Dodge Ram. If that offends you as a truck person, I don't know what Ford country I would imagine. I apologize. God is a Ford. He's a Chevy. Whatever you want him to be, he's four-wheel drive. You are a van. Today, I'm a tow strap. I am here to connect dots. I'm here to connect you to truth. You may understand it, but are you applying it? You feel stuck. I'm doing this. I want to do better, but I'm not. I can't seem to get over the hump. And here's where the devil gets us. The devil gets us because the devil steps into these moments whenever you know you should be doing something here, but you're doing something there, and then there's a pattern of behavior. This is his goal, not to just produce sin, but to produce a pattern of sin in your life to the point where you think something's wrong with you. You think you're broken. See, there's so much confusion in the world. So much confusion in the world. People are confused about who they are. They're confused about their sexuality. They're confused about their gender. They're confused about why they're struggling with this. Confused about why they're struggling with that. The devil has complicated everything. A big ball yarn. But it's not complicated. It's just the default settings have to be changed. If you change the default settings, your life changes. If you don't, You'll just spin around in a circle over here, shooting at the corner. That's how it works. So if you're in the room and you feel like, I don't know why, it's just that you have to change your mind. Romans 12.2 says this, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to approve and test What God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. The pattern of this world is a pattern of sin. The pattern of sin is your default setting. Your mind naturally goes this way. It's not a mystery. It's just the way it is. If you let your mind go, it will go into the direction of the pattern of this world. But transformation, life change, not just eternal life change, life here and now change. Transformation is possible to us, but it comes when we transform our thinking, renewing your mind. The, the, the most defining characteristic or the defining characteristic of a renewed mind is found in Romans 8, 5, and 6. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live, according to what, to, to, uh, live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. The mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The defining characteristic of a renewed mind is that your mind is governed by the Spirit. That's it. That's how you know. That's what you're trying to get to. How does that work? Psalm 119.9. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. Say, taking heed. Taking heed or take heed is not something that we say too terribly often these days. Take heed. I have something to say. Take heed means that you submit to, you listen to, you come under, you're humbling yourself. David says here, how can a young person cleanse his way? By submitting to, 
your word. He goes on to say, with my whole heart have I sought you. Lord, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word have I hidden my heart, that I might not sin against God. The way to live a transformed life with a transformed mind is to take heed to the word. There are a lot of us wandering around. We claim Christ. We believe. It's not so much that we don't believe, but we don't readily apply the scripture. We're not active in understanding or knowing the scripture, and the scripture is not so much in our thinking. And we're wondering why we feel stuck. We wonder why we worry all the time. We wonder why things aren't getting better. We wonder why I'm not improving. Why is this still happening to me? I just want to pull the curtain back. It's not a mystery. And it's not that there's something about you that's wrong. It's just the default setting needs to change. The devil wants to tell you that you are broken. The devil wants to tell you that this may be true. What this guy is saying to you today, it may be true or it is true. It's just not true for you. That there's something about you. That's why this doesn't work. But it's not the case. Not the case at all. It comes by renewing your mind, and renewing your mind comes by living according to the Spirit. Living according to the Spirit means that you submit yourself to the Scripture. So three things I want to leave with you before I go. The first thing that we have to do if we are going to renew our minds is we have to identify the thought. Identify the thought, which essentially means we have to think about what we're thinking about. Our minds will run They run fast. A lot of us are so used to letting our minds go wherever they decide to go, and it just feels like this is just the way it is. My mind runs to anxiety. My mind runs to lust. My mind runs to fear. My mind just goes, and then we take those thoughts and where they've run to, and we say, this is now a part of my identity. I've adopted it as part of who I am. It's, it's, just, it's intrinsic. I can't separate the two. It's just why I can't seem to figure it out, because I am a worrier, like it's part of my ethnicity. I am a worrier. I live by fear. I'm afraid. I just, by nature, I'm afraid. I just have these problems, and they're just, I can't pull them apart. This is Satan's goal, to make you feel like that you and your sin are inseparable, that there's nothing you can do about that. And that's how he removes the simplicity of the truth of the word of God. God's ways are powerful, but they're also simple. It doesn't mean that they're always easy, but they are simple. He doesn't give you these complex steps that you can never figure out how to take. The trouble is that many of us resist the simple step because it doesn't seem like this is how we could find an answer. The first thing we have to do is we have to think about what we're thinking about. Identify the thought. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says this, we demolish arguments, every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Every thought you take captive, you identify it. You're not just going, don't think about that. I can't think about that. I can't, I can't just, ah, I don't know why I'm thinking about that. You're not just resisting it, you're identifying it. Whenever you notice that you're having trouble, whenever you notice that your, your mind wants to go to fear, your mind wants to go to angst, your mind wants to go to worry, your mind wants to go to looking too long, it's like I shouldn't be here, but I, I find myself moving in a direction. You identify the thought. You grab it. 
You understand, I am thinking about something I should not be thinking about, or I am worrying right now. You identify, grab hold of it. Take the thought captive. The second thing that you have to do is you have to judge the thought. Is this thought good or is this thought bad? Meaning, is this thought from God or is this thought not from God? Is this part of God's original intent for me or is this the corrupted setting? Judge the thought. How do you judge it? What do you judge it against? Against the word of God. Not against how you feel. Not against how, what you feel like you deserve. Not going, I feel guilty, so I should, this is how I should engage. I don't deserve this. I just should stay low. I should stay stuck. I'm not worthy of it. I can't figure it out. I'm confused or whatever. It's not about how you feel. It's about what God says. This is what taking heed is. I take my thought and I go, God, this is what I'm thinking, but this is what you say. You judge the thought. And then whenever you judge the thought and you find that this thought is not helpful to you, this is not what you should be thinking, you replace the thought. You replace the thought with the word of God. You put the word of God on your mouth. You speak the word of God. David said, I've hidden the word of God in my heart that I don't sin against God. It's not enough to just think about the word of God. The word of God has to move from your head to your heart. My dad always says this, how does it get there? It's an elevator. It starts here and it goes down. What does it have to pass to get to your heart? Your mouth. This is why God told Joshua, keep this book of the law on your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you will be careful to do everything written in it. If you will grab hold of thoughts, this is what 2 Corinthians is saying. Take it captive. Identify the thought. Judge it. Replace it with Scripture. You may not understand how this is happening. You may not understand, why would this work? How is this going to change anything? You may feel like something more has to happen. I I need to go up and I need to be prayed for again. I need a spiritual moment. I need to come forward and I need need God to move. God has moved. God sent Jesus, died on the cross, resurrected for you to transform you. God does not circumvent his own process. His process is transformation comes by renewing the mind, which means you have to submit to the word. This is why we go in circles. This is why we're in the corner when we should be out in the battlefield. It's because we're not submitting ourselves to the scripture. We may read a tiny bit. We're not taking any time to apply it. We're not writing any of it down as ammo for our negative thinking. We just read a little maybe here and there, and then we go out into the battlefield naked, wondering why we're getting our butts kicked. And then the devil says, there's something wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with you. You just bypass the armory. My goal, my desire, my heart, my hope for you this morning is this transformation, true transformation transformation in the things that mean the most to you because Jesus changes the core of who you are. And when the core of who you are changes, everything outside of that changes as well. Your finances change. How you approach your finances change. The peace you have with your finances change. Your relationships change. It doesn't mean that all people around you change, but it changes you and how you approach them changes. They can't steal from you anymore. 
You no longer have to live with addictions, with iniquities, with things that you go back to for comfort. You find your comfort in the Lord, and it changes you in a way that you can't fathom. This is the hope. This is the gospel. Would you bow your heads, please? Thank you so much, Father God. We thank you. We just take a second and say thank you. Thank you for saving us. You created us to be different. You created us to be better. You created us to live as you live. As Pastor Joe said, we are to image you, Heavenly Father. But we struggle with that when we operate according to the default that sin has created. So today we have been confronted with your word. It is truth. May we submit to it. May we bow our knee to it. May we take heed. May we not walk out of here and just with good intention or lip service go back to our ways, being governed by the pattern of this world. But may we say, today's my day. I am done doing this my way. I'm going to take the time. I'm going to learn the word. I'm going to write the word down. I'm going to memorize the word. I am going to the armory. No more fighting on my own. I'm going to fight with supernatural weapons that have supernatural power because transformation has been bought and paid for and I'm sick of not living in it. I thank you, Father. If there is anyone in this room and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you have not said yes to this first step. You have not accepted being a child of the Most High God, accepted the sacrifice of Jesus. Today is your day change. Today is the day to take a step. If that's you, you say, I, I want to do something about this. My heart is moved. I know it. I'm going to take a step today. I'm going to ask you to do something quite simple. On the count of three, I'm going to ask you right where you sit. You can just lift your hand up and you can put it right back down. On the count of three, it takes some courage. Not the easiest thing to do, but there, you'll never find a better room to do this in. Everyone in this room is for you. So on the count of three, if that's you, lift your hand up. One, two, three. Any hands? I see your hands. Thank you so much. You can put them back down. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for moving on the hearts of men and women. Thank you for loving us. You brought us here. You chase us down. You have a plan for our salvation. I thank you for loving us so much. Church, you believe in this. Let's pray this prayer. It is a beginning. It is a step for us to acknowledge our salvation. Say this after me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me for sending Jesus to live for me, to die on a cross for me, to be resurrected for me. Jesus, you are my Lord. I submit to your word. I submit to your ways. You are my Savior. Your blood has forgiven me, paid the full price for my sin once and for all. I accept your gift of salvation. Thank you for saving me. me. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for everything that you're doing, everything that you're doing in the lives of people. I thank you for your word. May it be a seed, be planted deep in the soil of our hearts and produce much fruit. This is our request. It is our faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much, everybody. We hope that you were encouraged and brought closer to God during this message. You can listen to any of our past messages and series either on this podcast or on newchapel.com slash watch. And be sure to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel.